morning, though, we were back in Mark's gospel, and we'll be reading then the first 11 verses from Mark chapter 1, and then we're going to uh, go back to, to Matthew chapter 3, but I'll tell you at that time. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. And then I invite you to go back to Matthew's Gospel, the third chapter, Matthew chapter 3. And we'll pick it up again at verse 1, Matthew 3, 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all 
righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. As far as the reading of God's Word. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you. We thank you for the written word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for a pastor who's willing to preach the gospel and the truth as we hear it. So many times we read the gospel and we think, what a smuck I am. John the Baptist proclaiming off the, in, in a loud voice in the wilderness. And there's so many times that we miss the opportunity. We get out in the truck and we say, why didn't I say something? We pray that you'll give us the courage, that you'll give us the wisdom, that you'll give us the recognize the opportunity to witness to your goodness and love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I want to look at just two points this morning. First of all, the fact that Jesus is baptized. That's what the passage is about. Jesus being baptized. But the passage is also about, clearly, about the baptism of Jesus, or Jesus' baptism, as distinct from John's. But first of all, let's focus on the act that is taking place both here in Mark and then again in Matthew as we read them. That Jesus comes to the Jordan and is baptized. First of all, it's necessary for us once again to to understand that which is going on in this baptism, to understand the baptism of John. This was a baptism for the repentance of sin. That's what the passage has clearly told us. That's what the baptism was about. There is no trinity and there is no cross. John is not baptizing anyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He is not using that formula. There are simply, do you desire to come and to be baptized for the repentance of your sin? Are you doing this to indicate the fact that it is your desire to turn from the sins that you have been involved in? And there is no cross. There is no... Are you being washed here in the blood of Jesus Christ? There is no sense of that. There is no no words to that effect. This is not the message of John. This is not the point of John. So in some respects, it is clear to be able to say that the baptism that we have read about, about John the Baptist, that is taking place here in the wilderness, is entirely an Old Testament event and... It is, in some respects, we could say, a Christless event. That's not what this is about. So the question is, why then does Jesus come? If the point of this baptism that John is performing is about repenting Sin. It's about confessing sin. It's about turning from sin. Why does Jesus come 
And why does Jesus receive that baptism? Now, that's not a strange question to ask because even John in the passage from Matthew makes it clear. He doesn't quite get it. Why are you coming to me? I know who you are. I know that you are the Christ. I know that you are the Son of God. John understands this. He's understood it since he was even in his mother's womb, we are told. So he's looking at Jesus going, you have no sin. You have nothing to confess. You have nothing to repent. Why do you come to me? Notice in the passage of Matthew, the response that Jesus gives. It's verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, that is John, consented. What does Jesus mean when he says the fulfillment of all righteousness? This, my friends, is the glorious part of the baptism of Jesus. This is the point that the song that we just sang is trying to capture. Jesus is placing himself Amongst the guilty. Here at the very beginning we would say of his public ministry. Jesus is identifying himself. With the guilty. This is what Isaiah prophesies does he not in Isaiah chapter 53. That the Lord is going to lay upon him the iniquity of us all. No, Jesus has no sin to repent of. Jesus has no personal reason. There is nothing for him to confess. He is the perfect son of God. Sinless. And yet the Lord is laying upon him the iniquity of us all. You know, sometimes I think that, that what we do in our, in our minds is, is, and it's understandable why we do this, we, we tend to see this only upon the cross. Oh, it's only on the cross that Jesus is carrying our burden. Oh, it's only on the cross that, that he paid for our sins. No. From the moment of his conception, through the moments of his birth, through the time of his childhood, through his 20s, and now even here at his baptism, the Lord lays upon him the iniquity of us all. Now, this is a little exchange, right, that's taking place between John and Jesus. 
John consents because hearing Jesus answer, we have to do this to fulfill righteousness. This is part of the plan. This is part of the purpose. This is what my father is doing, laying upon me the iniquity of everyone. John says, okay, I get it. But if you and I are standing there that day, watching this scene unfold, what do we think? What is our understanding? If we're one of the soldiers who has also come, as is indicated in Luke, who has come to John to confess their sins and to be baptized. If we're one of the Sadducees and Pharisees watching this. If we're one of that horde of people that comes from the area around Jordan and Jerusalem and Judea and watch this event. What is our immediate association? This man who is going to be baptized by John. This man that John is baptizing with water is what? Oh, he's the perfect son of God. No. He's guilty. He's a sinner. He needs to come and repent. That is what Christ was willing to do. Innocent though he was, perfect though he was, he was willing to be associated with the likes of you and me. He was willing to be thought a sinner. In order that he might fulfill all righteousness. Here he is. Perfect Christ. Don't think that the people who were there and present that day didn't sometime in the next three years of his public ministry say, Isn't this Jesus of Nazareth? Didn't he get baptized by John? Yeah, he's just like us. He's a sinner. But he wasn't. In himself, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Second point in regards to that. Not only does Jesus place himself amongst the guilty, Jesus represented us that day. Say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is this. There is not one single one of us in this room who can fully repent. The move to repentance, the desire to repent, doesn't even come from within our heart. That is what God gives to us in the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts to cause us to repent. But what do we say about ourselves? We say, there is nothing that we can do that is perfect. There is no act that we can do. That is without sin. Everything we do has some sort of sin. Even 
our repentance. Even when we come to God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I was wrong. I sinned. I shouldn't have. There is still sin in that repentance. You and I can never do perfectly. That which John was calling people to. But Jesus can. God lays upon him our sin. And what does he do? He subjects himself to this baptism as a sign of repentance. You see... That's us. Why does God accept our repentance? Because our repentance is in Christ. Our repentance is in the perfect repentance of Christ. And why is it perfect? Because he had no sin. And so his act, as our representative that day at the Jordan, is part of that which he tells John will fulfill all righteousness. Because my people can. The ones for whom I'm going to die cannot complete all righteousness. They can't fully repent. So I will be baptized with this baptism in their place, thereby fulfilling all righteousness. And we see that in this baptism because we are reminded immediately afterwards of what? Of the sinlessness of the one who has just been baptized. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Only those who are sinless in the sight of God, can be referred to as those with whom he is well pleased. It is that which God declares about his creation each day. It is that which God declares about his creation at the end of those days. Ah, oh, it's very good. See, that voice... That dove is a reminder not only to Jesus, not only to John, but certainly to us that this was the sinless Lamb of God who has taken upon himself our iniquities. That's what's happening 
there at the Jordan that day. I know we kind of tend to kind of slough this off in the sense of, yeah, yeah, he was baptized. Maybe we've kind of sloughed it off because we don't quite get it. We, we don't quite understand. And we don't quite understand because we don't follow through, not only in the connection of what is actually happening here in John's baptism, but also John's statements. Because John goes on to tell us some pretty interesting things, some pretty important things about, not about his baptism, not even about this act of Jesus being baptized, but that which is going to come, the baptism that Jesus is going to inaugurate, the baptism that Jesus is going to begin, not at the Jordan River, but on a far larger venue. So first of all, I'd ask you to turn in regards to this to John chapter 3. See, all four Gospels deal with, with this subject matter. Okay? When you, it ought to tell us something okay, about the importance of this. John chapter 3. Going to be way down at verse 30. But let's set it in context. Verse 25 tells us that there is a discussion taking place between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, you have to understand that that means the ceremonial washings. And that has to do with the baptism that John was involved in. So there's a discussion. They came to John and said to him, verse 26, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and our all are going to him. Now who is that? That's Jesus. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride is the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He that is, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Now, given the context back in verse 25, that this is all about baptism, and the question is, hey, he's come, he's doing baptism. Uh, should he be doing that? After all, you got this wonderful baptism for the repentance of sins that is going on. John's conclusion is this. He must increase, and I must decrease. Now, first of all, I want you to marvel at the deep humility of John here. John is humbling himself. John is John's the most popular character in all of Judea, Jerusalem. 
People from everywhere are coming to him. Hey, John, the guy you talked about, he's over there. He's doing some baptism on his own. What do you think about that? He must increase. I must decrease. First of all, note that great humility. But the idea where it says he must increase, that's the idea to grow, to extend. I think John's thinking of the fact, look, my little baptism of repentance thing is taken here in this small little locality somewhere near the Jordan, a small little river, okay? And I'm only really affecting Jews. I'm really only calling Jewish people to repentance. Just one nation, small little nation as it is. But he is going to increase. This thing is going to explode. This thing is going to become a worldwide, universal kingdom. My baptism is so small and limited in scope. His? It's as if John is going to be saying to them, look guys, someday they're going to be baptizing people in China. Someday they're going to be baptizing people in Africa. They're going to be baptizing people in Europe, and you don't even know Europe exists yet. They're going to be baptizing people in North America, South America, Central America. They're going to be baptizing people in New Zealand, Australia. But you see, you can't say that because they don't even know it exists yet. This little baptism thing that I'm doing kind of exclusively for Jews, that's going to fall away. Because something much bigger is coming. The baptism that he is doing. But it also tells us something about the baptism itself, doesn't it? His must increase. The baptism that Jesus is involved in is the baptism that is to grow. That is the baptism that is to expand The baptism I'm involved in, that's to shrink and shrink and shrink and eventually shrivel up and not even exist. This whole baptism for the repentance of sin, that's all going to come to an end. It's not going to exist anymore. His baptism must increase. Mine must decrease. Now given that statement, let's go back to Mark's gospel. Notice his words in verse 8. Mark records that in talking about this coming baptism of Jesus. He says, I, verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. My baptism with water for the forgiveness of sins or for the repentance of sins must decrease. His baptism with the Holy Spirit must increase. Something is going to happen. 
See, John's explaining to us that there are big changes that are about to take place. We are about to enter something new. So let me offer three points in regards to John's explanation that he gives here. One, that the baptism of Jesus is about the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if Jesus' baptism, if John is telling us this, okay, let, let's not talk about people today who want to infer and read into John and somehow try to take John's baptism and say, oh, no, we can still do that today. We just have to kind of change and shift. John's not changing and shifting. John's saying, no, something fundamental is going to happen because his baptism is with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean about John's baptism? If Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, what does that mean John has been doing? It's without the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, I baptize with water. Jesus is going to have a little bit more of the Holy Spirit in his baptism, so you might want to sway that way. He's just going to add a little pinch, a little more dose. I, you, know, you full well know I got the Holy Spirit here in my baptism. Nobody can come to the repentance of their sins without the Holy Spirit. What John is saying is, oh, yes, you can. But you can't do it perfectly. You can repent. But you can't have a perfect repentance outside of the Holy Spirit. You can take this sign on, sure. But without the Holy Spirit. And that's what he offers. The baptism of Jesus. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, it's about fulfillment. What is going to come is going to be greater again than what has occurred. Now, notice how John prefaces it in verse 7. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. There were those who are designated as disciples of a rabbi. The disciples of a rabbi are those who are willing to do just about anything. Just about anything. They're not willing to do everything for the rabbi, but they're willing to do just about anything. And as you follow the disciples along in the various gospels, you see that, right? They're willing to do just about anything for Jesus, but they're not willing to do everything for Jesus. A servant is one who is willing to do everything. So a disciple, just about everything. A servant is one who is designated as one who has to do everything. So, think of the upper room. 
The disciples march in. Everybody's got dirty feet. Are the disciples willing to do everything? No, they're not washing feet. Okay? Now, remember, this is only a few days after Peter said, we will die with you. Well, they're willing to do that, but they're not willing to wash feet. Jesus is willing to be the servant and to wash the feet. But notice John. John says, in comparison to that which Jesus brings, in comparison to the baptism of Jesus, I'm not even worthy just to start untying the sandals. I'm not even worthy to be a servant in terms of the greatness of the baptism of Jesus. He said, boy, Pastor Brown, you're kind of big on that today. Yeah, because I, I frankly, I just don't get, I don't understand why people who have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have been baptized with an understanding that baptism points us to Christ, points us to the cross, want to go back want to go backwards and say, no, no, that wasn't a really good baptism. That, there was something wrong with that baptism. I need to have a baptism in which I show how repentant I am. I need to, to be, I, I need to have a second baptism. I need to be submersed. I need this, because I need to show, I need. Well, if you want to show it, then you're damned. Because your repentance is not true. The only repentance that is true is Christ. And I want to be baptized in the baptism of Christ, not of John. If I'm baptized in John's, then I'm still under sin and I'm still under condemnation. I want to be baptized in Christ because John himself tells me that is the baptism that is far superior. You know what? Sometimes we, even in our conservative, reformed churches, we look at what we do. We baptize little infants and we baptize people when they come and, and profess faith in Christ. And then we look at our, over our shoulders and we go, well, maybe we ought to be doing that baptism. That looks a whole lot more interesting. Folks, understand what you're exchanging. That should hold no interest to us. Because of the greatness of the baptism of Christ. And you see, this is where we as parents have to teach our children. How precious their baptism is. Because they're running around with a whole bunch of kids and friends who are going, oh, I went to this and guess what? We all got baptized in the lake and it was really cool. 
it's really sad. It's really sad. That somebody would think the baptism of John is of greater value than the baptism of Christ. That our children understand how precious it is to have received from their very infancy Jesus' baptism. You see, it's all about identity. That's what John is saying. My baptism is about you. My baptism is about you repenting. My baptism is about you confessing your sins. My baptism is about you turning your life around and living in a different way. But his baptism... The baptism of Jesus is about being identified with him. The Philippian jailer rose that moment. And he and all his household is baptized. Why? They want to be identified. And he wants everything he owns to be identified with Christ. Lydia is baptized in her household because she wants everything she has to be identified with Christ. Because that's what the baptism now means. It doesn't mean repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John told us that. That needs to decrease. His being identified, being baptized with Christ, being Buried with Christ, being crucified with Christ, being identified with Christ. Because here comes the blessing. Because he identifies you as his. He identifies you. You belong to him. You belong to the King of Kings. You belong to the Lord of Lords. You belong to the one who is increased, increased, increased until he is given a name that is above every name. That at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And he knows you. You're his people. You're his flock. And he loves you. He's going to die on a cross for you. He's going to be raised for you. He ascends for you. He reigns for you. And he's coming again for you. Because you belong to him. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you for this work of Christ, for his willingness to be baptized in the Jordan by John. For Lord, we know our own hearts. We know we can never truly repent. How often we have and then turned right back to the very same sin again. But he, Perfect baptism for us. 
and he gives to us this blessing, beautiful baptism of identification so that we might belong to him forever and ever and ever. And God's people say,